0: Would you pray with me? Father, may our hearts join with our minds and with our lips to proclaim that you are everything to us. And Father, may we, in obedience, uh, align our whole selves with that confession, that you are all that we need, and that you are all that we need for salvation, for life, for health, for life that is truly life, for a life of meaning, a life of success, for the good life that we all long for. Father, you are truly all that we need. You are our everything. God, we praise you. You have safely brought us through another year And on this, the last day of 2023, Father, we give you the glory. Father, we thank you for the good moments of the last year. We praise you for the wins, the successes, the moments of joy, the moments of of pleasure and hope. And Father, we trust you in the moments of pain, in the moments of sorrow, of shame, confusion and despair. Father, we long to trust you deeper in 2024. And God, as you've given us this great opportunity to close the door on one year and open the door on the next, we pray that you would be the one leading us through. That whatever new comes at us in the year ahead that, Father, you would guide us through it. Another year full of joy, pleasure, success, hope, and peace, and another joy, another year full of pain and sorrow. And so, Father, whether the days ahead are full of joy or sorrow, full of success as we long to see it, or failure. Father, lead us through. May your, may your hand be the hand that guides us in every challenge, in every decision, in every moment. Father, may we as a body, this last time we get to gather together in this year, join our hearts, join our minds. God, I, I pray, I pray, we would be a people drawn towards you, driven by you, and devoted towards you. God, we pray for those hurting in our family, those that are unable to be with us, some sick for the day, and some at home facing more serious ailments and limitations. God, be with them. May they know they are loved by you and know they are loved by their brothers and sisters. And Father, for those that are grieving, who have just been through a Christmas season without a loved one, some for the first time, and will inaugurate the coming of a new year without someone whom they've lived through many years with, Father, comfort the brokenhearted. And fill us and the questions fill us in the searching. Father, may you be our everything. May you be our guide in the year ahead. And God, as we open your word, we believe that you have spoken to us and we have it in written form, form, passed down through thousands of years of church history, written by one of your faithful apostles. And here we have your words given to us for our growth and our encouragement. So, Father, encourage us with your words today. Spirit, guide us. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's have the kids be dismissed to their time of worship upstairs. Though it is another holiday weekend, we have our normal ages being dismissed. That's nursery through the fifth grade can be dismissed to meet their teachers in the lobby and head upstairs. And parents, you can pick them up upstairs at the end of the service today. Um, Today is the last day of 2023. If you look at the bulletin that you have, um, you can see our financial details for the year. Um, It's something we don't always talk about, but something we like to occasionally remind you about, and we regularly print it in the bulletin. Um, God has been faithful this year um, as he's worked in our families to be faithful to give towards the work of the ministry here. If you want to make a year-end gift, you can give it through the QR code right there to make it easy. You can give it online. There's boxes in the back. Um, You know we don't regularly take up an offering here, but we encourage you. um, Giving is a part of worship. So give to the work that Jesus is doing through his gathered body here at Fellowship. Um, Additionally, things coming up in January. As the new year starts, we have new initiatives coming we have a new season of women's quad groups, and that will start soon. So a week from tomorrow will be the deadline to sign up. We have a couple testimony videos that are come, going to come to you this week and, uh, and next Sunday that will just share with you what God has been doing through this first uh, season, first section of women's quad groups that happened this fall. God has moved. God has worked. We've had a, a large number of ladies have been involved with that. And so you can sign up now on the church app and the deadline again is a week from tomorrow. Uh, for men's ministry, we have a men's discipleship study called Every Man a Warrior that's going to be starting that second week of January. Uh, Tuesday night the 9th, one group one group. Wednesday morning the 10th. Basically the same um, uh, structure as, as what we did with Better Man, but different timings. No longer meals provided, that sort of thing. But you can get more information on the church app about that. You can sign up. These groups um, are going to go a little bit deeper. If you're part of the Better Man Study, obviously you've heard about this. We want you to do it. If you were not part of the Better Man Study, but want to form a small, be a part of a small group with men, where you are encouraged to uh, study the things that that Scripture says specifically to to men, to all of us, but additionally those that are specifically to men, and uh, work on your your daily Bible disciplines and reading and having a quiet time, those sort of things, Every Man Warrior will help you do that. So you can sign up on the church app for that. There's also um, multiple youth um, events coming up um, even into the summer, and there's sign-ups on the church app for that. That is the church center app, and you have to select Fellowship Bible Church. If you need help with that, find a staff member after the service, and we can help you. And then lastly, um, Crafters for Christ is a a fellowship group of... um, uh, that has met on Saturdays, used to meet on Saturdays at the church for years and years and has had a long hiatus and is back. And so um, the first meeting of that will be this Saturday in the Backstage Cafe and will continue every Saturday from 1 and 3. You can come as a skilled seamstress or you can come to learn and um, learn about crochet and knitting, work on projects, visit with friends and sisters in Christ. And so um, we'd love for any of you to, to be a part of that as well. Um, Now, let's open the scriptures together for the last time this year, to Hebrews chapter 2. Took a little break last week for Christmas Eve, um, but this is actually, as I was scheduling out um, the book of Hebrews, I really wanted to talk about angels leading up to Advent. But I really wanted to talk about Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 on this particular Sunday, because I think it's such a good Sunday for reflection. We were talking even in Sunday school this morning about the joke is that, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but throughout American churches, this Sunday between Christmas and New Year's typically is one of the lowest attended Sundays of the year. And what that means is that's typically the youth pastor's turn to preach. Like, that's just the normal thing. You don't, if, if the senior pastor takes a Sunday off, it's this Sunday. But lucky for AJ, he gets to preach next week instead. I'm taking that Sunday off. So come excited. But I really wanted to talk about this. I love talking, I love preaching on New Year's. I love preaching and reflecting on reflection. And this is a passage about drifting that we all need, that that I needed in preparation for um, the start of a new year tomorrow. Um... If you live in North Georgia right now, you probably don't live close to the beach. And no, Fort Mountain does not count as a beach. I know there's a state park with a beach. That's not a, that's not a thing, guys. It's just not. But I, I grew up hours away from the beach. It wasn't a normal uh, occurrence for us as a family to go to the beach. So it was always novel and fun anytime we had the opportunity. But I remember when I was, the first couple times I went, this, this experience you have of going out into the ocean and recognizing how much you shift in the water without knowing, right? We've, we've all experienced it, and when, I, when we took our kids a few times, it's interesting, because even with young children, you know, when older kids go out into the water and get adventurous and go, go deep out, but with my young children, I remember several times where we'd go out into the water, and Jess would be, maybe sitting reading on the beach or maybe Jess and Karis would be on the beach and I'd be out there in the water with the, with the older kids and we'd be jumping in the waves and that sort of thing. And then we would be coming back and, and Eden, who is like a leader in our family and likes to be a leader, Eden would be like, okay, let's go back. And then I would see her so many times and, and you know, it's okay if she denies it now because I'm talking about when she was little. But so many times she'd walk up the beach and she would go to mommy and mommy was over here somewhere. And she'd be walking this way, and she'd be like, oh, wait, mommy's this way. Because you don't recognize you're drifting until you get out of the water. And even uh, the last trip we took to the beach, I remember uh, we were collecting shells. And we were collecting shells just right on the edge of the water. We were not deep in the water at all. And yet, there was a moment when I had all three children, and Jess was sitting um, on the beach somewhere, and all three children, and we started, we started looking for shells, and we were looking for shells and looking for shells, and then all of a sudden it's time to go back to mommy, and the kids are like, okay, mommy should be right here. She's way over there. And we never got into the water more than eight or nine inches. We weren't really in the water at all, and yet without even noticing, going down, and the kids kind of floating as the wave came in, they kind of float this way. And a wave comes in, they kind of float this way. And you don't notice you're drifting until you look up. Until you take an account of where you once were and where you are now. Hebrews is a book full of warnings. We hadn't gotten to any warnings in chapter 1 yet, but but this is where we really start talking about the warning of Hebrews. Hebrews is an in-your-face book. It's written by a follower of Jesus to a group of Jewish believers in Jesus who are considering leaving the faith. Who are considering walking away from Jesus and back to the Judaism that's more comfortable. Or at least maybe finding some ways to leave behind certain practices, certain outward identifications of being a Christian towards what they were more comfortable for. They're being persecuted over here. They weren't persecuted over here. So maybe it's time to go back. And you know, we all fear... The cultural trends, the societal issues that come up that make people want to reject Christianity and reject Jesus. We fear what happens when we have students that go off to a liberal university and are encountered with with worldviews and ideologies that they haven't been properly prepared to combat. We fear those things and we fear that radical deconversion story of someone who once followed Jesus and then was faced with a challenge so great. They walked away. Maybe it was a trauma. Maybe it was suffering. Maybe it was the hypocrisy of a fallen church leader or a Christian example. But we're afraid of those big things. But that's not how most people leave. Studies have shown, there's a major work published last year called The Great Dechurching. Why do people leave churches? You can have all sorts of theories of why people walk away from the faith why people who were once faithful churchgoers are no longer faithful churchgoers and and ultimately maybe even go from faithful churchgoers to disengaged not believing in God altogether even identifying as atheists you know the number 1 reason why americans stop going to church according to this study from across the nation the number 1 reason they move they just move houses Move communities. They fall out of the habit. They don't know which church to go to. It's the number one reason people go from being faithful church attenders to non attenders. Why is that? Because we drift. And nobody knows they're drifting until they look up and they take an account. Where am I now and where was I before? Such an appropriate message for the end of a year and beginning of a new one. Because this is a time where we take an account, we reflect. Did I accomplish my goals for 2023? Did I meet my resolutions? Did I pick up any new practices and habits? Am I who I wanted to be in 2023? This passage tells us that people don't drift towards godliness. We drift towards danger. And it's true of our lives. It's true of everything in our lives. We don't drift towards health. We, we don't drift towards fitness. We don't drift towards good emotional and, and mental health. We drift away from it. We drift towards the bad stuff. We drift towards selfish behaviors. We drift towards lazy behaviors. In fact, I think that's actually an evidence for the work of God and the work of the evil one in our lives. The fall of man, in which man rejected God and all of us inherited sin through the fall, it's a real thing. And so falling human beings don't drift towards the good things, we drift towards the bad things. You don't drift towards being a marathon runner, you don't drift towards being a bodybuilder, you don't drift towards being having a healthy diet. You drift towards being a couch potato. And in the same way, you don't drift towards godliness. You drift through inattention, through lack of care, through lack of discipline. You drift away from godliness. And Hebrews 2 shines a bright light on those that don't make a conscious decision to leave the faith, but those that just drift, imperceptible at first to yourself and to those around you, but ultimately, resulting in a huge change of place. Hebrews 2, 1-4, it'll be on the screen, but let's read it together. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape If we neglect such a great salvation, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It's a really simple point the author of Hebrews is trying to make, and it's a really simple approach we'll take this morning. Bottom line, there is danger in our drifting. He has here um, basically the, the passage in three parts. We'll, we'll do three simple sentences here. Be careful. Be careful because drifting from a lesser covenant resulted in judgment or punishment. And drifting from a greater covenant brings greater consequences. That's a message. Be careful. If drifting from a lesser covenant brought just punishment, then drifting from an even greater covenant will bring greater consequences. And so let's unpack that together. First, the the danger of drifting. The word here for drifting really means what we would expect it to mean. It means an unconscious leaving. It means it's not int- intentional. The author of Hebrews is concerned about people who think Christianity is too hard and make a conscious decision to walk away. He addresses that in other areas. That's not what he's addressing here. What he's addressing here is a very normal problem for all of us. For first century Roman Jews who had converted to Christ, that's who he was writing to. Or for Dalton, Georgia, 2024. The, the biggest problem we face as Christians is not always the big challenges. It's the gradual inattention and the gradual lack of discipline. As I was reading another um, pastor on this, Kent Hughes, he said he identified three dangers of drifting that we all face. Years, familiarity, and busyness. None of those are apologetic issues. They're not talking about whether Jesus was was really who he claimed to be. They're not talking about the resurrection or how we got the biblical documents or the age of the earth or anything like that. He said, no, the danger of drifting is years, complacency that's built up over years, where you were once very intentional in your faith, very intentional in your church attendance, very intentional in attending a small group, doing daily Bible studies yourself, having family prayer times. You were once very, very intentional in those things when you were excited and you were eager about growing. That is what the book of Revelation, the letter to the church of Ephesus is all about. Here's where I condemn you, says the angel of the Lord. You have left your first love. You've left your first love. It's not that you now hate the gospel. It's that you've left your first love and you don't realize how different you've become because you've fallen out of love with Jesus. You've fallen out of love with the gospel. The danger of drifting is often a danger that just compounds over years because little decisions and little non-decisions cause drift. Familiarity. Some people just become bored. Maybe, Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've come to church for so many years that you're just used to hearing the same things, and you're wondering, like, is there something more out there? Is there something more practical? Is there something more tangible? Or you think, you know, I know I should go on Sundays, but I tend to hear the same messages, the same applications. It's the same gospel every time. And so if I miss this once, it's okay because I know the message. If I miss. For a whole month, it's okay, because I I know what the heart of Christianity is all about. But familiarity causes your mind to wander into other things, and you pursue other interests. Maybe you're bored with the gospel, and we've seen this with people. They become bored with the gospel, bored with the basics, so they go on into speculative areas of theology. This is one of the things I was addressing over the last few weeks, all this talk about angels in Hebrews. That was the problem with the Hebrews with the recipients of this book, they spent more time speculating on what angels were like than talking about Jesus. And those speculative forms of theology are really interesting. So you start talking about angels and the spiritual realm and, and spiritual warfare and, and end times and all of these areas where there's lots of good biblical revelation and there's an incredible amount of speculation. And as you study angels or you study end times, you study spiritual gifts You start to see, boy, there's some, the the Bible talks about this, but there's all these books that are written about these subjects that don't connect the dots with what the Bible says, because it's interesting to speculate. It's interesting to drift away from what we know of doctrine and drift into possibilities and drift into what if this were true and what if this were true. It was one of the practices of, of the Middle Ages that led into the reaction of the Protestant Reformation all these speculations that weren't grounded in doctrine. Brothers and sisters, it's a challenge we have today. Well, I I know the gospel, I've I've done all these Bible studies, I wanna do a Bible study on something like really different, something really extreme, something really unique and spiritualistic. We have pathways to do that in our culture, but it's not always helpful. So you get bored with the gospel, so you just study a new doctrine, a new area of doctrine. You get bored with the gospel, so you need to find a new mission. So maybe your new mission is some sort of activism. There's a cause you really believe in, a societal cause, a political cause, a whatever. So you leave behind the mission of the gospel for the mission of something else. It comes from familiarity, from boredom. Some of us pursue a new community along the way. Somebody in the church upsets us, we have become over-familiar, we're bored with the community of the church. And so you look all around. How many community formation groups are we seeing in our day and age? The internet has exploded the idea of community formation. Now everything is built around community. Our workplaces try to form communities. Our schools try to form communities. Our hobbies try to form communities. And so there's, there's this big movement and this, there's social scientists an, uh, analyzing right now the church of CrossFit. Have you ever reflected on that before? I'm not talking about a literal church of CrossFit, but the elements of CrossFit are church-like community elements. So social scientists have picked up on this and are saying, how has CrossFit built such a movement by taking church-like religious ideas, concepts, and practices, and they've gained so much community and so much energy around this mission and around this accountability of shared mission, shared goals like a church. And so from certain categories, the movement of CrossFit looks like a church because it's a new community that draws people together. These are the things that we drift into. Not that they're bad, but that they become distractions as we get bored with what Christ calls us to. The community of Self-sacrifice, the community of hospitality, the community of bearing one another's burdens, the community of shared mission, the community of just proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. When we start to become complacent, overly familiar, we drift. But then, of course, the, the normal challenge that we've all faced is a challenge of busyness. No generation in human history has been busier. No generation in human history has had more distractions We do more things in a day than we ever have before. And yet sometimes it feels like we get less done, right? Because our our attention is shorter. Our focus is shorter. And so in all of these things, we're getting pulled in so many different directions as individuals and as families. It's easy for those spiritual disciplines those daily practices, those good habits of following Jesus, and even connection to a local church. It's easy to drift away. This is not a punch-you-in-your-face message. This is a, we all face these challenges together. The author of Hebrews actually takes that tone, if you notice. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The author of Hebrews takes that pastoral tone that I want to take with you too to say, yeah, I see it too. I struggle too. I drift too. I lose sight of what's important too. So we all need these reminders, and let's lean into this together. C.S. Lewis writing 70 years ago said um, in a great work, uh, one of the classic works of apologetics," this is one of the things he said, "As a matter of fact, if you examined a 100 people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument." That's a question. He says, "Isn't it true, in fact, that most people simply drift away? We need apologetics. We need good apologetic arguments. We need good responses to the challenges that culture gives us and the philosophies of our day. That's incredibly important. But most people don't walk away from Jesus or walk away from the church for that reason. Most people just get complacent. And then they end up making concession after concession after concession until something that was once important to them is no longer important to them, and then when it's no longer important to them, they one day wake up and realize, I don't really believe what I used to believe anymore. And they simply drift away. Now, here's the thing about Hebrews. There's all sorts of issues that come out of this relating to one's salvation. Does that mean that person has lost their salvation? Does that mean that that people can once be saved and then drift away and move from the point of salvation to non-salvation? That's not an issue for today because the author of Hebrews hits that head on about three times later. Okay, so we're going to get to that question. I'm going to tell you, I don't believe the author of Hebrews entertains that idea. He's concerned about people that are actually blood-bought believers in Jesus losing the salvation they have in Jesus. I think he is concerned about people that are in the church that are looking like Christians, that are acting like Christians, that even think themselves they're Christians. They're not faking it. They think they're doing it the right way. But actually haven't they drift because they haven't fully embraced the gospel. That's the scary thing for the author of Hebrews. And I think he makes that clear in chapters 6 and 10. But for now, we're not going to d- debate all of those issues. We're going to talk about those in the coming weeks. But for now, while we're recognizing that there are issues in our culture and society where people go through a crisis and they walk away from the faith. People are, are approached with a question they can't answer and they walk away from the faith. People that... Um, that are faced with something that they just can't, some sorrow, some pain, they cannot reconcile with a good God. They walk away in an instant. It happens. But it's not what usually happens. And if you go back to the analogy I started with of, of good habits, bad habits, usually one night of binge drinking doesn't just activate an alcoholic, it's a gradual concession after concession after concession after concession. One night of binge eating doesn't make a healthy person unhealthy. It's concession after concession after concession. We drift. We're so afraid of these radical things happening. And when we, what we tend to de-emphasize is the danger of drift. And that's why the author of Hebrews puts it right in our face here today. Um, but he makes a comparison between a lesser covenant and a greater covenant. So let's look at that. Verse 2 is the lesser covenant. And I mean lesser Not because it's not important, but that is the the way of argument that he has here. He is saying, one covenant is this. It's good, it's true, it's reliable, but this other one is much better. And he compares the details of them. So let's look in the details of verse 2. Number one, this covenant is declared by angels. It's reliable. And every transgression was justly punished. Those are the three elements in verse 2. A message declared by angels, a covenant declared by angels, a message that was reliable, that ultimately came from God, because as we've learned over the last few weeks, angels always speak from God, and a message that that resulted in just punishments for sin. That's the message we're talking about here. It's a good message. Incidentally, if you go back and you read the giving of the law, you might be surprised to read Hebrews, because it didn't seem like it was the angels that were giving Moses the law. But other places in Scripture, you do see that when Moses reflects back in Deuteronomy, he speaks of the Lord speaking to him in the presence of 10,000 holy ones. And that's Deuteronomy 33. But then Stephen says in Acts 7, in his sermon that gets him killed, he says, Moses received the law from angels. Paul in Galatians 3 says, Moses received the law from angels. So in all of this obsession with angels that we've talked about for the last three weeks, we see why, right? They, they saw from Scripture that we received, people, humanity, received the message of God's law through the angels. So this is the Old Covenant law we're talking about here in verse 2. The message received by angels. It was important. It was confirmed and reliable. And it was specific enough to provide blood sacrifices Results of any possible sin. It's very, very specific if you read through the books of the law. So the author of Hebrews isn't saying that stuff's bad. He's saying that stuff was good. Now let me show you something even better. And So verse 3. This new covenant is declared at first by the Lord. So he's been talking about Jesus is better than angels for all of chapter 1. So he's saying angels brought one covenant... Jesus brought a greater covenant. And it was attested to us by those who heard. So there were many witnesses. Incidentally, if you're one of those nerds that wants to know who wrote the book of Hebrews, this is a really important detail for who did and did not write the book of Hebrews. Because every time Paul talks about those that witnessed Jesus, he says he himself witnessed Jesus. So we have Peter, James, John, the the disciples, right? They saw Jesus. They were eyewitnesses to the gospel coming through Jesus. Paul himself, multiple times, talks about himself being an eyewitness to the gospel of Jesus because that Damascus Road experience was an eyewitness account for Paul. So the fact that the author of Hebrews is talking about we, himself included, heard about this gospel from someone else, meaning the author of Hebrews was not an eyewitness, tells us Peter, James, John, Paul, Paul, None of them wrote this book. It's a reasonable conclusion from that passage. Just food for thought if you're interested in that kind of thing. We don't know who wrote it, and that's okay. And we don't have to speculate on it. I'm just telling you, Paul probably didn't write it. So, moving on. Attested by those who heard and confirmed by God through signs, wonders, miracles. What's the difference between signs, wonders, and miracles? In verse 4. Signs, wonders, and miracles are basically three ways of saying similar things, but signs are things that you're supposed to discern. Okay, It's just like you read a sign. A sign tells you about something. A wander in, in the Hebrew is a, is a cosmic sign, is a sign in the stars is how it's typically used. And a miracle is a display of power. Three words communicating three aspects of the same thing. That the miracles that Jesus worked, and even miracles that the apostles worked, the goal was that you would learn something from them, discern something from them. They were signs meant to be read. They were wonders meant to awe you. And they were miracles meant to display power and strength. So Jesus has power over demons, and he can just cast them out. Jesus has power over the wind and the rains, and he can just tell us to stop. Jesus has power over sickness and even death. We see that time after time after time. So Jesus has come to display the power of his covenant. So all of that is what the author of Hebrews is telling us. If you are concerned about how many Bulls and goats you were supposed to offer as a result of your sin for disobeying the first covenant. Think about what happens if you ignore this new covenant. You can't just come back and offer more bulls and goats later. You make the decision to drift away and you walk away. The ramifications of drifting away from this covenant are Eternal. You're making an eternal decision when you show inattention to the things of Jesus, when you put off the question of Jesus, you put off a decision about your Christian life, you put it off and put it off and put it off. That's an eternal decision you're making by your inattention and your inaction. That's the scary thing about this, is that there may be many people living today that maybe believe the basics of Christianity and maybe believe, like the demons, that Jesus is Lord and they have this head knowledge, but having given their heart allegiance to Jesus, and are waiting for another day to really go all in, or to really get serious about their faith, there's people like that all around us. This is a scary warning for those type of people, because what the author of Hebrews is telling us, you have to make the decision, and you have to continue in that decision. The greater dignity of the messenger that God sends shows the greater dignity of the covenant. The greater dignity of Jesus over the angels. The greater uh, power of the signs and miracles over the blood sacrifices. And the, the greater punishment that results. Not just more sacrifices to make, but eternal condemnation if you neglect this covenant The author of Hebrews knows that these people are facing factors that would lead them to walk away. In chapter 13, he speaks of them being rejected by their family. In chapter 10, he speaks of the public society shaming them. In in chapter 10, he talks about them losing their property for following Jesus. In chapter 13, he talks about losing their freedoms. In chapter 12, he talks about the threat of martyrdom. And in chapter 10, he says you're neglecting meeting together, and you kind of understand why by that point. Martyrdom, family rejection, public shaming, loss of property, loss of personal freedoms. All of these factors went into the situation that the Hebrews were dealing with. So he was telling them, don't drift. Don't think it's easier to just hang out where you are because you don't hang out where you are. It's not true of your health. It's not true of your fitness. It's not true of your your work. You can't just do the minimum requirements in your job and expect to be seen as a faithful, faithful employee. You can't just check the boxes and say, technically I went to the office and I did my task, and think, yeah, my boss is gonna love me and everybody's gonna think I'm really pulling my weight here. That's not how it works. You don't drift towards health. You don't drift towards good behaviors. You drift away. Paul has concern about the same thing. Paul speaks of two guys, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who are shipwrecked in their faith. How are they shipwrecked? Well, again, it's the current of water is the imagery. They were drifting and drifting and drifting, and they drifted out to sea in this ship, and then eventually the ship turns over on them, and they find they haven't just wandered from their faith. They have no faith. They're completely shipwrecked. Others in, uh, in Israel's history, those destroyed in Korah's rebellion, are seen in Jude 11 as similar. Simon the sorcerer, who was so excited about the Holy Spirit at one point and then just drifted into false doctrine and became an, an idolater and, and a heretic and then died as a result. All these scriptural examples of those who once believed and then drift. So what about us? What about me? What about you? 2023 is over. Too late to reach your goals for 2023. Sorry about that. So what's 2024 going to look like? Is this going to be a year where you make New Year's resolutions and you, you stick to them? I don't love the language of New Year's resolutions because it's this cultural pattern that seems to just never work. But but there is something about practices, habits, disciplines, behaviors that we as people are formed by the practices that we prioritize and so drifting from jesus doesn't just mean that you make a decision to walk away from jesus drifting from jesus happens when you don't realize that every step you take is a decision okay so are you stepping towards jesus or are you stepping away from jesus Are you stepping towards a greater connection with the body of Christ and his church, a greater involvement in the mission of Jesus, or are you stepping away? So a way of asking this is on the screen. What practices lead you towards Jesus? What practices lead you away from Jesus? That's our point of reflection for today. Is your goal, is your goal in life to be this great person that? that changes society, that changes the world, that that makes a difference and leaves a legacy. You're probably thinking, well, maybe when I was 17 or 18, I thought I could be that person, but not anymore. Maybe some of you are 17 or 18, you still think you can be that person. Let me give you a better goal. Walk towards Jesus and help others walk towards Jesus. That's the greatest legacy any of us could lead. It is if we were the sort of people that instead of drifting, which is what is easiest, that we constantly made intentional steps towards Jesus, and as we were making intentional steps towards Jesus, towards maturity in Christ, towards faithful obedience, towards bringing God glory by representing Jesus to the world, as we do those things, we bring others along with us. Loving other people enough to push them closer towards Jesus That's really all discipleship is. That's really all ministry is. Loving other people enough to push them closer, to lead them closer towards Jesus. So what are the steps? What are the little micro decisions you're making? Are you making a decision to go deeper in your daily devotional habits? Many of you are. That's great. I sent out an email last week and said, if you want to read the Bible more intentionally and in community this year, join us. We've got, and I actually have some hard copies on the back table. If you want to read through the New Testament this year, there's a written, there's a printed out plan there. It's also available on the Bible app, and there's already 15 or 20 of us from the church signed up to do it. We'd love to have any more join. And you can ask questions on there, and we can discuss things together through the app. You're not going to be the kite. If you want to be the type of person that runs a marathon, you've got to be the type of person that runs a 5K. If you want to be the type of person that reads the Bible in a year, read a chapter of the New Testament a day first. It's okay to just read a chapter of the New Testament a day because God will meet you, you'll learn about Jesus, and you'll move closer towards Jesus. What steps are you taking? Let's say you want to make that New Year's resolution. I really want to pray this year. Well, How how are you going to do it? Do you set the goal to where I'm praying for 30 minutes every day. Well, if you prayed for 30 seconds every day, 30 minutes every day, that's a, that's a huge, huge change. Uh, Atomic Habits, one of the classic works on habits in the last generation, says, endeavor to make a 1% improvement every day. Well, what could a small improvement look like in your devotional life, in your prayer life, in your scripture life? Practices form us. Our habits, our disciplines... Language changes. Some people prefer different words between habits, disciplines, practices. It's all the same thing, as long as we're focused on grace-driven gospel effort. The author of Hebrews is about to tell us that angels are great, but people reign over angels. And then the author of Hebrews is about to tell us that Jesus was made perfect for us. Now, that was the passage I wanted A.J. to preach because the question of how Jesus was made perfect begs the question, when was Jesus not perfect? I was going to give him that one, but I'll save that one for myself. But reflect on that. How was Jesus made perfect for us? You know that Jesus, as all we've, we've celebrated and remembered in this Advent season, we remember a time in which the world was full of darkness, in which there was no gospel of grace to be heard and received. The message of salvation was a message of old covenant sacrifices for Israelites, and yet there was this hint all the way of a loving God that would bring more towards the nations. And Jesus stepped into that. And Jesus changed everything by, by exploding this idea of covenants and saying, I bring you a new covenant arrangement, and it is by grace, through faith, In me, the greatest practice you can engage in in this year, the greatest resolution is rehearsing the gospel in your life. When a a crisis comes to your life, what is the gospel? And what does the gospel say to this crisis? When you fail, what is the gospel? What does the gospel say to this crisis? When you succeed, what is the gospel? What does the gospel say to this crisis? When it feels like you're all alone, what is the gospel? And what does the gospel say to my heart in this moment? When it feels like you'll never gain victory over that sin that is besetting, what is the gospel and what does it say to this moment and my struggle? Our practices form us. And so the greatest question you can ask this year is what practices are forming you? Is it your media intake, social media, news media, entertainment media, any of that? All of those things form you. So are you receiving enough of Jesus, enough of Scripture, enough of prayer, enough of fasting and silent meditation to combat the intake that you're receiving elsewhere? Here are our practices. Gospel reflection. What does the gospel say to the moment I'm in? Bible intake through reading, meditation, study, memorization, prayer through fasting, silence, solitude, and mission. Four simple practices. Gospel, Bible, prayer, mission. How can you practice those things? And what could lead you towards Jesus? And what is currently leading you away from Jesus? Hebrews tells us in chapter 3, in chapter 4, in chapter 6, in chapter 10, in chapter 12, and in chapter 13. Hold fast. Do not walk away. And in chapter 2, the first time he introduces this idea, the first time of 7 that he introduces the idea, I'm coming to you with a message of Scripture. With a message of Jesus. It is so easy for us, as fallen humans, to see something beautiful to see something attractive and to love it one moment and get distracted and drift away from it. So how are you going to reorder your life around the beauty of who Jesus is? See, here's the message of Christianity, that none of us had it right on our own, that I don't stand in a place of authority because of my moral character or because of my good decisions. I stand in a place of authority simply because I'm reading what the book says. And the same for all of us. We're all equal at the foot of the cross as sinners who desperately need the gospel of Jesus and are clinging to hope that only Jesus can provide. And so if, if this is you, where you, you look up and you hear the words and you say, you know, I'm a little unsure of where I am with Jesus because I used to be that excited. I used to be down here, but it seems like I have drifted here. The story of collecting seashells told me that you don't have to be deep into the current to drift. You don't have to be deep into the cares and concerns of this world to drift away. You just got to be a few inches deep and you will see a great change. So my question for you as the band comes up, what step towards Jesus is he asking you to take? For some of us, it may be the first step to move from mental assent and and head knowledge belief to actually a heart-level commitment. Yeah, Jesus, I want to serve you and you only. And for others, it's rekindling that love you had at first and finding a new way to go deeper in Jesus, to rekindle those thoughts of love and commitment and faith. But we do it not because... God's going to get us. We do it not because if you don't do it, you're facing judgment. We do it because what a beautiful Savior that He would look on me in my rebellion and my sin and say, I'm going to die for Him so that He might have life. That's the Jesus that we want to follow. That's the Jesus we want to be like. If you want to unlock what it means to be deeper in the life of Jesus. Look at him and seek to move closer to him.